We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, Daniel Horowitz will be here from Conservative Review to take us inside politics. Uh, This is, of course, 2016. It has been an interesting year. Uh, We have have seen a lot of things we never thought we would see this year. And I'm about to let you see one more. Aaron, I want you to mark the tape. You got it. I don't know that what, what I'm about to do, I may never do again in my career. I'm going to open the show tonight by defending Mitt Romney. Oh no, I'm out of here, man. I'm out. Dead I'm I'm no tongue in cheek. I'm straight up about this. 
I watched as we signed off last night and, uh, you know, reports of the dinner that Mitt had with with Rince and uh, with President-elect Trump at that uh, posh uh, restaurant last night. And the media was trying to crash it and everything else and what was going on. And you've seen the photos, I'm sure. And there's this one photo that someone did a black and white effect on that is incredible. It's this photo of, of that Trump just has this crab-eaten grin on his face, looks right into the camera, and Romney, he, he looks pained trying to look like he is enjoying being there. And it's dying for a caption, right? I mean, as soon as, as, soon as I saw it, the caption I thought of was, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. It's true. (laughs) And he's getting lambasted by people for, oh, you said this about Trump in the election, and you you came out against him in the primary, and you never supported him in the general, and you all but called him a con man. Well, well, hold on for just a second. If this is the first time you have ever seen Mitt Romney alter his trajectory on a political stance... You don't pay attention a lot, number one. <laughs> All right? I mean, I've always, I've been, the thing that I've always found fascinating about Mitt Romney is that a lot of times when you, when you I mean, I, the original flip-flopper was Bill Clinton. Then there was John Kerry. I mean, the, these are guys that have had problems. You know, Kerry came back from Vietnam and falsely implicated a bunch of his soldiers in war crimes. Bill Clinton's moral peccadilloes are well known. Normally, when you have a politician that struggles to maintain uh, their sense of self to the extent that someone like Mitt Romney has, it, it signals that there's issues going on in their own personal life or worldview. What I've always found fascinating about Romney is that is not the case. You cannot be more straight-laced than Mitt Romney is. I mean, him, him and his family, they are an American Gothic painting. You want these people living next door to you, and not just because that way you know it's a really nice neighborhood, all right? I mean, you want these people, you want, you, these are your, these are, these are America's neighbors right here. And yet, despite how straight-laced this guy has been his entire, his entire life, in his personal life, Politically, he has had a hard time maintaining positions. What, what was the John McCain line during the 08 primary? One thing we agree on, Mitt, you are the candidate of change. Remember that? <laughs> we used to joke on our show, Romney feels strongly about both sides of every issue. So, I mean, a lot of these people coming out, ah, I can't believe Mitt changed his mind. Come on, man, really? 2007 called. It, it, wants, it wants its posts back. Come on. But I want to set that aside for a second. Because I think, now I'm not arguing the merits of him as a Secretary of State candidate. I think of the people that have been mentioned, Daniel Betrayus, who will literally have to check in with his probation officer to take the job. Guys, come on, really? Really? That, that's legit. He'd have to check in with his probation officer to take the Secretary of State job. Rudy Giuliani is a progressive wreck. 
And then there's Romney. Now, apparently, John Bolton's name is back involved. He interviewed with Pence today. He's going to interview with Trump, I think, tomorrow or Friday. But if you ask me, if I had to choose between Romney, Giuliani, and um, uh, and, and Petraeus, and can we shake the Etch-A-Sketch and start over wasn't an option, I'd take Romney every day, twice on Sunday. At least he has some connections. Obviously, his time with the Olympics, he's an international businessman. I think it would say something about Trump going outside, and he's done that now a little bit more and more, but going outside of his inner circle to find people. I think that sends a good message. But I think Romney's willingness to do this could be argued to be perfectly in line with his criticisms of Trump. I mean, like it or not, Donald Trump's going to run the country, guys, for the next four years. He's going to make decisions that impact your children and grandchildren for the next four years. I would make the case that exactly because you think that's who Donald Trump may be, that it's a good reason for a guy like Mitt Romney to agree to do this. I think most of us want to see Trump surrounded by the best people he can surround himself by, which is why some of the most recent appointments we've seen are, shall we say, troubling. And we'll let, we'll let our friend Daniel Horowitz get more into that coming up here in the next segment. But if you do think he's a grifter, if you do think he might be a con man, if you do think that he might be a house of cards along the lines of what Romney said about him publicly, well, here's the other thing. He's also going to sit in the White House. It's going to make life or death decisions on behalf of your children and grandchildren for the next four years. Every day, lives hang in the balance based on what Donald Trump decides. So if you think that's what he has been in his past, That is exactly why you would do this. I mean, if, if, if Donald Trump comes to you, if you're Mitt Romney and Donald Trump comes to you and he says, hey, what do you think about having one of the most powerful positions in my administration? You're going to be the face of our foreign policy. And you think he's a grifter, he's a con man, and now he's the president. Sure, you could stay away. But then wouldn't you say to yourself, the first time a decision is made that goes bad, would you not say to yourself, you know what? Could it have gone better if I was there? Oh, I had a, I, I had a relationship that might have secured something with that moment. Might have changed the outcome of that decision. Why would you sit on the sidelines? See, this isn't about serving Donald Trump. Donald Trump may think that, but it's not. It's about what's best for the country. Or at least it should be. What's best for the country is for Donald Trump to be surrounded by the best, most capable people he can possibly be. That is what's best for the country. 
Now, whether I'm not going to argue whether or not Mitt Romney is one of those people. I find it ironic, though, to see people like Newt Gingrich and others who were adamant that he had to be the next president of the United States suddenly tell us that he has no business running the State Department. So you thought, he, you thought he had plenty of business running the entire country, but now you think he has no business running the mere State Department. That, those, positions, those positions seem incongruent to me. And that notwithstanding, I want to defend Romney on this. If you have those sorts of questions about Donald Trump, and he offers you a position of this kind of influence, that is exactly why you agree. That is exactly why you say yes. Because he's going to need all the help that he can get. Listening to Steve Dace. The Sleeping Giants Alarm Clock, Steve Dace. What is this? Wizards in Winter by Trans-Siberian ne- never Orchestra. Again. Never again. You've never heard this song? Yeah, no. Never again. Eject. Back here on the Steve Day Show where we do live employee what? reviews. What, what has 2016 done to you, Steve? You used to be a Christmas slappy. I want that's, my- not, that's, not, that's not Christmas. <sighs> I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. That, that sounds like the soundtrack to some 80s video game. No. no it's gone. Okay. You guys, you'll never hear that again, America, I promise. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Let's go inside politics. Daniel Horowitz is here with us. Hopefully he won't be as lame as that song. Daniel, how are you? Hey, Steve. I thought I had tuned into the Ryan Priebus program for a minute. No no doubt. Uh, I think we all got a little lighter in the loafers listening to that. I don't think there's any question about that, uh, uh, Daniel. So I, I wanted to begin where, where I left off the last segment and get your take on it. I Far be it for me, of all people, to defend Mitt Romney, but I think he's getting a bit of a bum rap here. I mean, it, I'm not the argument about whether he is qualified or the right per- person for Secretary of State is separate from the point that I'm making, which is, I, I think I think you could say that because you believe the things that Romney said about Trump uh, during the primary and the general election, because of those things, that is exactly why if he offers you a chance to have such a prominent place in his administration where you're the face of their foreign policy, isn't that exactly why you take it? Because it, 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 you think he's got to be surrounded by the best people possible, and this is one of the most powerful positions in the executive branch. I think that's exactly why you do it. Am I wrong? No, there's no doubt about it. You and I obviously don't want people like Romney and the Bushies anywhere near the administration, but you know, from their end where they think they're doing the right thing, it makes sense. It's kind of like you and me also. You know, We opposed him during the election. We didn't want him. We still don't trust him, but you got to make the best of it. It is what it is now. There's nothing we can do about it, and you know, th- there's – there are some advantages to him being all over the place in the sense that he's kind of a blank slate. You can get him to do the right thing, hopefully on a couple of issues. So I think the more good people we have around him, the better, except Romney just ain't that guy. So when we first started talking about the early days of the transition, the first Wednesday we had you on, I I told you I was cautiously optimistic. I kind of liked what I saw. And 
let's keep in mind that again, a lot of this, and this is this is disclaimer time. A lot of this is driven by your perspective. I mean, my uh, I I never supported him. I you know, so I I don't have any worries that I told people to go out and vote for him because we had to beat Hillary. I don't have any credibility or anything invested in this at all. Nothing. I so every time he does something that I don't think Hillary would do. I'm ecstatic because I have no expectations. So every time he doesn't do something, I think Hillary would. Uh, he doesn't do something I think Hillary would do. I'm counting it as a win. But but as the time goes on, last week I went from you know cautiously optimistic to nonplussed. This week I, I think we are trending in the wrong direction. I thought yesterday in particular was a bad day. Uh, Steve Munchen is a George Soros acolyte, uh, and um, they've put him in charge of the Treasury Department. Um, you look at Tom Price and I know a lot of people like him and, and his record, I guess on Obamacare, but I looked at his Liberty score on our website. It's not that great. So I, I don't know. Mitch McConnell, ditch McConnell's wife. Really? So I put up this poll question, uh, before we went on the air tonight, Daniel, and I asked this question other than Jeff Sessions, if Jeb Bush had won instead of Donald Trump, would he have made all the same appointment or same type of appointments we've seen thus far? Now, so far the vote is fifty-fifty, which, which by the way, is not good. Okay, but I mean, I, tell me other than Sessions, what a run-of-the-mill, generic, you know, system-driven, uh, uh, bushy Republican. Tell me what they have, would have not have done a few weeks into this that we've seen Donald Trump do. Is there anything else other than Jeff Sessions? You know, like everyone else this election cycle, I've been wrong about a lot of predictions. But I was on your Dace Group show one Friday, and I made a prediction that we'd be a couple weeks into the transition. What would things look like? I said it would look like a conventional, Bushy-style Republican uh, presidency. And I think that's what we're seeing. And in retrospect, the Sessions pick wasn't some big coup in terms of the direction of this administration, it was just Trump being quid pro quo. I think in that case, it benefited conservatives, but in almost every other case, it's not. I mean, these are his business cronies, uh, Wilbur Ross for for commerce and this Munchen guy, uh, Democrat donors. These guys are- Wilbur Ross thought- is a Democrat, correct? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he definitely gave a lot of money to them. All right, because Americans for Limited Government sent a release out today praising his selection. I I don't understand that. I think there's something personal going on there. I respect the guys at ALG, so I don't get what's going on there. But the point is, I mean, this is not – first of all, this is the type of guy to promote the internet sales tax at at Commerce. These are the type of people to be into the TARP, debt ceiling – Big Federal Reserve. It's the same globalist crowd. I'm sorry. I mean, there's nothing populist about it. And I look, you and I have disagreements with Steve Bannon, but I think one thing he he legitimately is a burn it down guy. Now, there's a French Revolution burn it down versus American Revolution, but I don't think he's winning out here. Uh, what I'm hearing that is was this- my next question. How much how how much power does he really have? Because you look at you look at you look at Munchen. Uh, Bannon and um, and the Mercers, who are his uh, his you know Miss Havishams, his benevolent benefactors, they're huge gold standard anti phony money people, and and we got this Goldman Sachs you know Soros progressive globalist at tre- running Treasury. How does that dovetail? I don't I don't. How does that? Where's the connection there? I don't get it. No, I mean that that's the thing. What, what I'm hearing is you're you're having Pence, uh, Jared Kushner, who's the de facto president here. And Priebus kind of control things here. And they're bringing in the institutionalists. They're bringing in the crony capitalists. 
Um, unfortunately, what, what's bothering me, there's a trend that we're getting the lowest common denominator of Pence and Trump instead of the greatest common factor. What I mean by that is each one kind of has a positive streak. Trump does have somewhat of an outside-the-box streak to him. Um, and, and Pence has somewhat of a conservative streak, but we're getting the wrong picks in each sphere. So for Treasury, uh, Pence is very close with Jeb Henserling. That would have been a huge coup. He's taken on the system, but no, you know, we got this puke. Um, and then whereas Trump might have had some more outsiders, we're getting your Tom Prices. This is your Betsy DeVos. All right, now let's talk about Tom Price for a second. His overall liberty score is not good, but really neither is Jeff Sessions. He's like a C, but... When you look at the breakdown, you see Sessions is 91% on moral issues, 100% on immigration issues. And as I was explaining to one of our listeners in an email conversation today, that's why I'm excited about him as AG, because those are going to be um, two of his primary focuses while he's in those positions. So I do think we need to tell our audience when we're looking at appointments for spots, yes, the Liberty score is important, but it really doesn't matter what Tom Price's score is. Um, you know, uh, on environmental issues in the position that he is in. You know what I'm trying to say? So what does his record on health care tell us about what he'll do at HHS? I hear he's very pro-life. That's good, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think life issues should be fine, at least through the prism of, of health care spending, the conscience mandate, that much should be gone. Um, I just don't think he's strong enough of a force He's an institutionalist. I mean, this is the type of guy who would be in conservative meetings and say, yeah, we're going to stick it to Boehner. And then he'd go and tell Boehner what's going on. Um, he was always a kind of a double agent. He was relatively decent on health care, but I just don't think this is going to be a full repeal guy. And the GOP is not headed to full repeal. Bobby Jindal would have been a better pick. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review. We'll go inside politics some more next. Listening to Steve Dace. Hey there, Roman class. Meet your worst nightmare. I'm having these dreams, but I'm scared. Steve Dace. That's more like it. All right, we're back to playing actual Christmas music here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics. Daniel, are we making too much out of who some of these appointments are? Um, and I'm just, I'm playing, I'm, I'm looking at it from multiple angles here. Is the Sessions appointment to AG, which was one of the two or three spots that I thought could not, could not be a miss, had to be home runs and had to be people willing to roll up their sleeves and get involved in the culture war, and that I'd take one of those at AG over interior, commerce, labor, and all of those put together. But are we getting to the point where if we continue this good run of bad luck that we've seen the last few days, the overall stench of the swamp will ultimately overrun even somebody like Jeff Sessions at Attorney General? It's like you said, it's more of a reflection of where it's coming from and the direction of the administration. Now, there's also another factor that I've been saying from day one. You're seeing a big dichotomy between the fiscal, social kind of legs of the stool and the national security leg. Now, we still have to see DHS, defense, and state. That will be very telling. 
But Trump has been pretty consistent. I mean, grading with a curve in the general election, strong on immigration, national security. It's the fiscal issues where he's a, he's an utter disaster. And I think these picks for commerce and and uh, Treasury reflect that. So I think the dichotomy between fiscal and national security is something we're going to see anyway. And this just affirms that. Hmm. So are you more pessimistic or optimistic uh, than you were a couple of weeks ago? Or is this pretty much what you were expecting? Which I guess you kind of answered that a few minutes ago, yeah, right? it's pretty much what I'm expecting. But the thing is, what I'm expecting is something very different. This man has no direction. So, I mean, normally when you're going to Pukeville, Swampland, you're stuck there. I think, ironically, there is some sort of opportunity with him because he could change on a dime. So I do think there is an opportunity if people like Sessions could get in good guys in the AG's office. There's a lot of stuff you can do unilaterally on immigration, on this broad discretion to enforce the statutes, not to deconstruct them like Obama did. It's all a matter of will people like Kushner make a concerted effort to stop those like Sessions because it offends their sensibilities and their big business uh, cronies, or will they kind of leave them alone? And you know the liberal people in the administration will do their thing, Sessions will do his thing. And by the way, you know who would be a great DHS secretary? Our buddy Steve King. Hmm. That that would win me over. Ben Carson at HUD, why? This guy just said that he's not qualified to run a department. So you tell me. Yeah, his his friend Armstrong Williams, who I like Armstrong Williams, but he has not he's not he's not done too many solids for his boy Ben Carson over the last year and a half when he speaks to the media. That he was the one that made those comments that he's not well Ben doesn't think he's qualified. Oh boy. But but I mean, what what would he do there? What what are his qualifications there? Why would he why would he want that job? Again, it's it's quid pro quo. Uh, Trump is very loyal to people who are loyal to him, and he offered it. And I think you know it's hard for someone to turn down such an offer. Uh, but I think he'd be more suited for maybe an FEC commissioner, so he can go over go after scam packs. Speaking of scam packs, how about the left? You know, launching their fake astroturf version of the Tea Party, like we saw on our side after the real Tea Party was launched, and all these fake groups uh, and their scam packs came out. How about Jill Stein and the uh, recount uh, recountistas attempting to do what they said could not be done, Daniel, and that is to top Ben Carson as the biggest scam pack of all time? Look, I mean, this is a gift to any Republican because what this is doing is perpetuating the Green Party for another cycle. You look at some of those numbers, and Jill Stein clearly made a difference in Wisconsin and Michigan. She might wind up garnering more votes than the margin between Trump and Hillary in Pennsylvania. So what what the Democrats are doing latching onto this is funding the Green Party for 2020. Hmm. I have a, a theory I want to run by you, and it may take me a minute or two to articulate it. So if it does, we run out of time in this segment. That'll be good for you. You'll, it'll give you a few minutes during the break to, to ponder this. But I, I have a theory about what is happening here, and I and I think it'll be confirmed or denied when Trump makes the announcement for his appointment for Scalia, for the, who will replace Scalia in that seat. And, and my theory is that we're watching a new political party be formed, that the, the center is being reshaped, and that what Trump is attempting to do 
and his political team. And, and Bannon even alluded to this now when you go back and look at the interview that he gave the Hollywood Reporter after the election, which is the only media outlet that he's talked to for reasons only a law knows. I don't know why the Hollywood Reporter gets to talk to him and nobody else does, but so be it. But, but I think what you're watching here is this new Republican Party is, is flipping the script on what the Democrats once did. And that is they're going to use government to buy voters in order to pursue their, uh, in order to give them the, the room to pursue their, 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 their immigration cultural agenda. And I think that's what the carrier deal yesterday was about. I think you'll see a lot more of those sorts of things. It's what the coming porculous, uh, I'm sorry, uh, infrastructure uh, program uh, that they will launch next year. I think that's what this is about. And I think they're attempting to, to do what the Democrats began to do with the New Deal, which is you buy allegiance to voters because they think they need you to keep the food on their table, and that way they don't oppose you when you want to pursue a certain cultural agenda. I think that is happening here on the right. In fact, you even alluded to it a second ago in how you were describing what's going on, and that's where I want to go when we come back here in a moment with Daniel Horowitz here at Conservative Review. You're listening to Steve Dace. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics. Before I get back to my theory, I meant to ask you about this a few minutes ago, but why in the world is Daniel Petraeus, who nearly went to prison for mishandling classified info and would have to report to his probation officer in order to take the job being considered for secretary of state. Daniel, shoot me now. Why? Well, because I mean, Petraeus is obviously looking to remake his legacy. This would be a perfect opportunity. Um, he had a great reputation. As long as his probation officer says it's okay. Yeah, but once we get past that, I guess. Well, I mean, other than that, technicality, sure. Yeah. You know, then because we uh, want we want the, we want the guy handling our state secrets who has to check in with his probation officer. You bet we don't. <laughs> and then, and then you know, from Trump's end, uh, conservatives have lionized the guy for years, which I never understood because he's another globalist. I mean, when we last heard his name, he was starting a gun control group during the election uh, a few uh, months yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, even on foreign policy too. I mean, he's not pro-Israel. He's he he subscribes to the same Arabist mentality. He doesn't get Islam like Mattis does or or Flynn. Uh, I, I don't now Mattis. I, if he was picked for defense, that sounds like you would be thumbs up on that. You're all in on that. Oh boy, I mean, Steve, this whole thing's a dumpster fire. The guy looks like a modern Patton. He really does militarily. Um, I think he'd be better for Joint Chiefs of Staff. The the problem is the guy's comments at the Aspen Institute are just totally divorced from everything we know about him. He was talking about Israel as an, as an apartheid state. I, I don't know what to do with that. What? Yeah, that's then. Are you that's kidding me? Kind of me? a problem, but yeah, it's a well, minor technicality. Like Petraeus has to report but, but, but to but his again, probation officer. Guy, we're talking about an administration, a, a president that says he's going to repeal Obamacare, and then you know at the first debate praise the Scottish and Canadian health care system. So go figure. How how is it possible there aren't better people than this in the entire right of center pantheon? How is it possible? How is that? possible 
ordinary people could do extraordinary things. You know, a lot of people have told me, and I'm not talking about myself. I mean, many other people said, Daniel, you get in there with a couple weeks of uh, training, you could do a better job. Um, it, the problem is, the perception is you have to have someone with a certain resume. And the reality is the only people with the resume, especially in foreign policy, are either liberals or, or, or the neocons that people are complaining about. I want to go back to my theory that we are watching Trump create a new political party. The center's being redefined. And the new schema of this party will be just what the Democrats did to build their governing majority post-New Deal. But they're going to flip the script. And that is we're going to use government to create jobs, which, of course, it can't do. But that's beside the point. We're going to buy people's loyalty with government. Uh, and then we are going to largely uh, use that uh, loyalty uh, so that there's no incentive to oppose us as we pursue a certain immigration or cultural agenda. And, and I, think, I think based on what we are seeing so far, um, given the lack of leverage they had for the last seven or eight years, social conservatives may actually make out here fairly good. I think, I think you, we, you're, you're right. The jury is still out on national defense conservatives. I think the group that's going to have to seriously think about a new party are those who are real true believers in, uh, in limited government. I, I mean, if you're a club for growth or if you're in that line of work, I, I, you're, you're, th there's no political party for you anymore. I, I, don't, I don't think there'll be any serious reduction of government. I think we'll see, in fact, government explode all the more. I think we'll be making these deals like Carrier on steroids for the next four years in this attempt to buy these voters and their allegiances. And, and you know what's fascinating about this theory, and, 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 we'll be and, and I'll be proven right or wrong with the first judicial appointment that matters. If you, if you get a Scalia for a Scalia, if he delivers for conser social conservatives then, then I'm going to be right. If not, then he's throwing us under the bus as well. But the limited government people, I, I don't see that they have any seat at the table here at all. I'm not as optimistic as you as social conservatives. I think a lot of that we'll see with some of the administrative decisions on a lot of the Obama transgender edicts, homosexual agenda. Um, as far as fiscal conservatives, th that's done. I, I met with a group of conservative House members uh, earlier today, and, and they were very clear about that. They know that we're never going to pass good fiscal stuff. It's going to be a battle to stop bad stuff. I mean, their Obamacare replacement, I believe, will be Obamacare minus the mandate and the Planned Parenthood ma uh, mandates. You agree yep. with that? No, no, exactly. I exactly. think it'll be everything other than those two things. And, and the taxes that K Street yeah, does. Yeah, which, I, which I, I sort of throw that in with the mandate. But yeah, other, yeah, other, than, other than the mandate and the taxes that they use to enforce said mandate and the, and the, and the, and the uh, Planned Parenthood edicts and you have to fund abortions, all that, other than those things are gone, but the new Obamacare will be exactly like the old one, just without those two things. Yeah, and Lamar Alexander, who's the guy in the Senate who will be responsible for this, he's already said as much. This is where we are. Now, I look, I disagree with this redefining the center, this pop prog progressive populism. I know Mark Levin is all up in arms, but I will say— Here's why I think he's going to redefine the center, because we've spent a lot of time, Daniel, talking about why this is bad for full-spectrum full conservatives. We haven't talked about why it's bad for the Democrats. He's driving them to a lunatic fringe, where they, where, where they are now essentially a party for transvestite crossdressers, Muslims, and communists. I mean, they, they are the party of, of college, yeah, and illegal, illegal aliens. They're the party of college towns and their surrounding areas. That, I mean, she won 15 per, less than 15% of the counties on November the 8th. That's, that's, so, yeah, this is not good for full-spectrum conservatives, but this will not be good for the Democratic Party either, I don't believe. And that's the thing. I think there's an opportunity here. I've written about this a lot at Conservative Review. I'm certainly not changing who I am. We're going to vigorously oppose the progressive stuff. But what 
we spoke about again with some of these members today. Um, there's a lot of opportunity in the states. We're not getting fiscal conservatism and social conservatism done anyway, even before Trump. It was dead. He's just making it official, but it was de facto dead anyway. They, today they just passed a massive, uh, you know, six billion dollar healthcare spending bill, and no one batted an eyelash. They do this all the time. Um, I think that shouldn't stand in the way of us trying to pocket some good reforms on immigration, national security. And I just feel the limited government stuff we got to deal with in the states. And that's why I've really warmed up to the Article 5 convention. I, I think that that is where it's got to go. I've had so many members tell me that today, that after four, six, eight years, some of them have spent in Washington, they are 100 percent sure there is no way they could change things there. Well, you've got a new fan. I mean, you got the big Jeb Bush endorsement uh, last week. So Momentum no, continues to build. Want it for for their own purposes. You know, we might disagree what should be done on a state level, but by golly, let's get it back to the states and fight it out there. Great stuff as always, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Take care. We'll come back have some reaction to what you just heard from Daniel Horowitz here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Dace Show. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Updated Twitter poll results. We, ask, we are asking you the question tonight, if Jeb Bush had won instead of Donald Trump, would we have seen all the same type of cabinet appointments sans Jeff Sessions? 54% of you say false, 46% say true. So false is, uh, is, is, has some momentum, but still, that's too close. The fact that it's that close to 50-50, that is not what a lot of you I know uh, that, that a lot of you signed up for when you signed up for this, and that and and that you thought you would not that that you were not going to get this. That's why you stood by him through all this, the the foibles and the grab him by the you know what videotapes. That's why you did that because you believed that was the sort of bowl in a china shop you needed to come in and crack some skulls in Washington D.C. Remember the Indiana primary towards the end there, uh, which was the last contest, uh, contested state between uh, Trump and Cruz. And at the end, a frustrated Ted Cruz goes over to talk to a couple of Trump cultists who are berating him. Uh, and, uh, and he decides he wants to have a conversation with him on camera. I remember we played this, guys, at the time, and it was, it was disheartening to listen to people who could not be reasoned to because they said things like this. Donald Trump is the Right. Okay, so you. so you like you. rich people where's who your buy gold, politicians. Where's your Goldman Sachs jacket at? We know your wife works there. Well, so does now Trump's Secretary of the Treasury. Now they're talking about a Goldman Sachs guy maybe being the budget chief. That's a name that's being floated out there for the budget chief as well. And in fact, if you count Steve Bannon, who before he got into politics, you guys know where he worked? At Goldman Sachs. So if you count Steve Bannon, that's actually two. Goldman Sachs guys in the Trump administration, and we've we've barely filled out half of the cabinet yet. So I I know 
what we've seen the last week and a half, this is not what I know a lot of you signed up for. So, Todd, your thoughts. You know, they, I'm sure Trump merchandising could make jerseys that just said globalist on the back. These guys would still buy it. I mean, they're just so deep. It doesn't matter. They know they're being used and they're loving it all the, the way. The shoes home. on the other cuck now is that what you is that what you're trying to say? Uh, there it is. But th- there's a whole different version, Steve. I, I came from uh, teaching catechism tonight, uh, and a-, a fellow Catholic came over to talk to me the first time since the election, and clearly was trying to uh, haze uh, you and me for being never Trump. And what do you think now? Uh, there's a different version of 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 cultists now who are just so happy that Hillary is dead and gone. That they're willing to wrap their arms around this no matter who he appoints. But that's okay to a point because we haven't really started governing yet. The results of this aren't in. I don't like the trend line we're on right now. The bar is so damn low, And and, and listen, my bar is really low, and I don't like the trend line as much as I kind of liked it two weeks ago. But there will be a time where that will wear off, and it's time to govern. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show. Here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour, we have uh, the transcript has been released of one of the president-elect's first official interactions with a foreign dignitary. Have you guys read this yet? Yes. Yeah, it is sweet. I, I have it posted on our Facebook wall, and it is totes awesome, as my teenager would say. It ha- It is mounds and mounds of awesome sauce, and we will share it with you coming <laughs> up here at the bottom of the hour. But Ryan Morrow, speaking of our relations with foreign countries, Ryan Morrow is one of the best foreign policy guests we book on this show. He's the national security analyst for the Clarion Project, and we welcome him back here to the Steve Days program. Ryan, it's been a while. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. Great to talk to you again. Ryan, remind our audience, because I think it's been a few months, what exactly is the Clarion Project? I know you guys were behind the great documentary Obsession, which I believe every American should be forced to watch before uh, receiving their voter registration card. Sure. Uh, well, since then, we've made Third Jihad, Iranium, and Honor Diaries. But basically, we're an educational nonprofit organization that focuses on Islamist extremism, but then we also take the added step of giving a platform to Muslim activists that stand against the Islamist ideology overall. So are you just as mystified by the fact a, uh, a, a radicalized Muslim drove a car down the main drag of Ohio State University, j- uh, drove it over the curb, ran some people over, jumped out and began indiscriminately stabbing them? Are you just as mystified by the motive as the governor of Ohio seems to be? <laughs> no. Uh, this is clear to understand based on his Facebook post. I don't know why people were 
speculating about what the meaning of that Facebook post is. He made it very clear. He was citing al-Qaeda imam Anwar al-Waki. He made a reference to ISIS, although he didn't pledge allegiance to ISIS, but uh, it doesn't really matter. It was a jihadist attack, um, and frankly, overall, uh, we're still getting lucky. As bad as this is, we're still getting lucky, because if you look at the size of the threat and the math and the lack of resources, it's amazing that we're doing as well as we are. So let's talk about where the world stands post November the eighth, and the and, and and I don't want to ask any leading questions at all. So I'm going to make this as general as possible because I want to give you as free as free reign to opine as I can because I don't know what your answer is. So how has the way the world changed, particularly the way the Middle East looks at uh, looks at looks at us? How has that changed since the election results? I'm getting mixed signals. I will concede this. Uh, there are more Muslims and non-Muslims in the Middle East that I communicate with that are positive towards the idea of a Trump presidency than I anticipated. But it's still a small minority, but it's more than I expected. Persecuted Christians, minorities, very positive towards Trump coming in. Um, Muslims in the, and even some non-Muslims um, in the Muslim world, I would say a great deal of anxiety um, some of them say it's going to launch a, like an official war against Islam, and then others just don't know what's going to happen. They're still processing it, like I think many Americans are, and they have a, a, a nervous wait-and-see approach. But I would say overall the reaction, if I had to put it one way or the other, the reaction is definitely in the negative side. Hmm. Is that good or bad for us, do you believe? Because, you know... There might be some people in the world that we want to think that the results of the election are bad. They have a negative reaction to, right? I mean, like, there's certain, there's plenty of places in the Middle East that we like to think they're, that they are going to believe their lives are going to really suck post November the 8th, but there's some places that we don't want them to think that way. So which is it? Well, ISIS viewed both Hillary and Trump as being part of the Jewish conspiracy. So to them, democracy is just a giant fake cover for the Jewish conspiracy. So there's, there's no difference here. Um, there are some people, like there's a, an Iraqi cleric that says this is very good because Trump's going to go after political Islam, the overall ideology, and that's where the root of it is. Real outspoken activists like that like what the idea of where Trump is going, particularly because of who he's surrounding himself with. Um, but in terms of is anyone scared, I'm honestly not getting that vibe. Um, there are some extremists who think this is good for them because they think it will polarize the Muslim world in a direction that's more in their favor. Um, and so they actually see it as a good thing for their cause. Uh, but I'm not getting any sense of fear like, oh, man, we're really done, um, except for one Islamic group within the United States and, and also the Muslim Brotherhood Network in the United States. Those guys are scared. But the ones overseas... I'm I'm not seeing any language that indicates fear yet. Since we know our friends on the left are going to make this argument, let me just go ahead and and address it up front. Uh, How how relevant is the question uh, that that uh, soon to be President Trump's incendiary language on the dealing on dealing with Muslims here within our own borders or on dealing with how we whether we how many we should receive, how many Muslims we should receive from outside of our borders into our borders? How much of that really plays a role? into helping to recruit terrorists abroad. We know the left's going to make this argument, and already has. How true is this argument? I would say mostly untrue. The only reason I'm leaving the exception is when Trump says things like, oh, we're going to take your oil. 
Uh, that is a key propaganda line of the jihadists. Because they, they claim that's what we're all about, right? That is what the exactly. jihadists did. That is their talking point. So we're using, we're reinforcing their talking point on that, on that, on that point. Is that what you're saying? Yes, we've been fighting that for decades, so it was sad to see that go all up in smoke. So that, that's difficult, and that makes you lose allies, because what Muslim reformer is going to want to ally with the United States if, it's, if we're saying we want to come steal your resources? Um, so you have to remember, this, they, this has been referred to as a civilization jihad, and we want our civilization to be superior, so messaging does matter. But when it comes to issues of immigration and accepting refugees, really inconsequential. Extremists will use anything to put a negative spin on it, but for your average person that's deciding whether they want to blow themselves up to kill Jews and, and things like that, uh, they're not going to be persuaded by America's immigration policy and the particulars of their vetting. Is polarization, is that necessarily bad? Because if things are polarized, they're also clarifying, right? I mean, one of the, one of the things you and I have talked about for years on this show when we've had you on in the past is the 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 seeing through a mirror darkly in that part of the world, knowing who our allies really are, and getting involved in the picking of winners and losers, and and ignoring legitimate moderate interests while conjuring up fake ones, and the Arab Spring, and the and 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 playing footsie with those sorts of entities, we have not done well in a non-polarized Middle East. So maybe a polarized one's not all not necessarily bad, Ryan. Man, you're exceptionally articulate today. Uh, yeah, that is. That's exactly right. Uh, we've been playing around in the gray area for, for so long that that's how you get so-called moderate Islamists that want a theocracy, but because they're not crashing planes into our buildings, we consider them to be moderate, and, and it's a terrible way of deciding who your friends and foes are. Um, but if you do make this about Islamism, about political Islam, whatever you want to call it, radical Islam, um, then there is a polarization that is positive. Because what happens is that then stirs up a specific conversation in the Muslim world where they say, well, the, these Islamic teachings that the United States is complaining about, what do they mean? Do we defend them? Do we oppose them? And then you get a clear delineation between those that are saying, we need a modern reformation, we need to separate mosque and state, and then, and then those that resist it. And that's a conversation right now that's going on, but it's not going on in a way that's at the surface where we can detect it. And our policy does not distinguish between those two sides. It hasn't since 9-11. Does he perhaps, because of, because a lot of the victims of this, uh, of the, of, of this gray area that we've been operating in, of course, have been Muslims themselves in many of these countries. Is it possible, therefore, that his polarization, he may find more fans over there than maybe a lot of us would, would, would suspect on our side of this divide? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. If he talks about it and then he delivers on it, if he starts uh, bringing in people such as Mitt Romney for Secretary of State, who know how to exercise with, you know, referred to as soft power, wage an ideological offensive with proper messaging and aiding those that uh, are in favor of modern, more pro-Western values, don't want to blow up Israel, I think you will be surprised at how quickly you will see new groups form, new activists become celebrities, that are countering the propaganda that has plagued that region and defined the Muslim world for so long. They're out there. They're just not organized. They don't have a platform. We can quickly change that. Ryan Morrow is here with us. He is the National Security Analyst for the Clarion Project. You can visit their website. It's an excellent resource. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, clarionproject.org. That's clarionproject.org. And when we come back here with uh, with Ryan in a few minutes, I want to get to some of the candidates that are being bandied about 
uh, for Secretary of State since he just uh, gave us the name Mitt Romney, who, of course, is the candidate of the moment. But he's not the only name that is being bandied about, as well as the fate of the Iran deal. Uh, Trump said during the campaign that he wouldn't tear it up, and he's thinking about helping one of its protectors or having one of its protectors, Bob Corker, be his Secretary of State. Is that a shrewd move or is that something he should reconsider? We'll ask Ryan about that when we come back as well. You're listening to Steve Dace. For a written transcript of this show, start writing really fast. Right now, Steve Dace. Alright, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Ryan Morrow is here with us, National Security Analyst for the Clarion Project. Visit their website. You'll be smarter if you do. ClarionProject.org is the website. Let's take a look at this Secretary of State hire. Before we get into names, how important is this hire? It's Listen, it's this and Attorney General are probably the two most powerful jobs in the executive branch of our government, other than the president, presidency itself. So it's always important. But given, I guess we'll, to, we'll use a nice euphemism here. How about we'll go with mercurial? Given the mercurial nature of the guy who will be the commander-in-chief, is there even more emphasis on it this go-around, Ryan? Oh, 100%, um, for multiple reasons. Number one, we have to hope that he's going to respect those that he puts around him, um, have the attention span to listen and learn from them, which, which is a concern of mine, um, and really trust them to, to ask them questions, um, even if they disagree. And we still don't know how that relationship is going to work. If Trump wants to, say, take the oil um, and things like that, um, is he just dismissive of those that say, look, man, you got to stop saying that? Um, and I don't know how that conversation goes. Um, so th- these choice, and also th- those he picks also shows how uh, studious he is and really, you know, is he just picking loyalists or is he actually picking the right people for the job? And that, that is another concern for me. All right, let's take a look at some of the names that have been mentioned prominently. Let's start with John Bolton, who interviewed with Mike, Benz, uh, Mike Pence today. Uh, supposedly get an interview with Trump either tomorrow or Friday former U.N. ambassador under George W. Bush. This is whom a lot of uh, conservatives uh, would like to see, given the gig. Uh, Rand Paul uh, views him as more of a neocon interventionist. What would the world's reaction be to him being the Secretary of State? Our enemies would fear us, that's for sure. Uh, With some explanation, those elements of the Muslim world that can be our ally um, will like him. It's just that he and his public remarks um, that have gotten a lot of attention, hasn't emphasized his very admirable things like supporting the Iranian opposition, which he's very, he's very passionate about, um, and waging the ideological war. So um, I would say first reaction, enemies would be in fear. And then second reaction, as people hear him more, I think we win, we win more allies. Um, I think he's a great pick. I see no real downside except for maybe some political consequences for Donald Trump among his base that is really, I guess you could say, anti-interventionist. Um, but John Bolton also isn't the type of guy to say, oh, send troops everywhere for every humanitarian reason. That's exaggerated. Bob Corker, the Tennessee senator who was sort of the Iran deal's guardian protector last year. I see no plus to that except for catering to the establishment if you're thinking politically for Trump. But I, I see nothing that he offers that another candidate can't provide 
and he comes with major downsides that have been surprisingly forgotten. Um, like you mentioned, the Iran deal, um, how he came up with the agreement with the Obama administration saying, basically, you, you get the deal unless the Republicans can come up with a majority in the Senate um, to say disapproval, and the Obama administration said, what, you're actually offering that? There's no way you could put that together. All right, let's go. And, I, and then that's basically how it went. And then the Obama administration, on top of getting the deal through, had a very big political victory, which was also damaging because it made those that opposed the deal look like the fringe. Mm-hmm. General Petraeus, who nearly went to prison for sharing national secrets via pillow talk, and we learned today if he were to get the job, he'd have to get the okay from his probation officer. That is true. <laughs> That's a fact. Now, I'm not, I, I'm, I, I wish I, I wish I had I wish I had material that good, but it's not. Truth is stranger than fiction, Ryan. But if he were to be Secretary of State, that would the wor- the, the the world would react how? Actually, there'd be a lot of confidence in that. I think, um, especially in the Middle East, he was known as King David in Iraq because of his ability to work out problems and then conquer enemies and, and locals, including like local tribes that would fight with each other, all liked them. Okay. Um, but he also co-wrote um, the counterinsurgency manual with General Mattis, possible Secretary of Defense um, pick. And, and the point I'm making is that there are other people that can accomplish that. To me, what he did with national security secrets, particularly when Trump makes that an issue against Hillary Clinton, I don't know how you pick General Petraeus. Have him as an advisor, get his input on things, but getting him that security clearance and trusting with national security secrets, I think that that uh, that bridge has been burned for me. Rudy Giuliani, um, and, and how much are there real conflicts with him and business dealings with foreign governments that people are alluding to? Is that real or is that political? I haven't seen anything of concern. It's been things like he worked for, he had a security consulting company, and then there'd be something like the government of Qatar, which I'm sure he would speak out against, would hire it because, to get advice on like how to protect an airport from terrorists which even if you di- disagree and, and don't like the Qatari government just like I don't, I don't want their civilians getting bombed. So, so I, don't, I haven't seen the conflict of interest there yet. There's been a lot of focus on his advocacy for an Iranian opposition group that once was labeled as a terrorist group, and then a court found that the evidence was bogus and they delisted him. I see that as a plus, actually, that he invested that much effort it, that in doing something for the Iranian opposition. And I like his presence and messaging. I want someone that can verbally prosecute our adversaries in the court of international opinion. So you are surprisingly optimistic about him as an option. I am, yeah. Okay. Well, that's why I want to talk to you as a foreign policy guy, because I vehemently disagree with him on domestic policy, so I have a hard time overlooking that. That's why I wanted to get somebody with a broader perspective. All right, and then finally... Um, uh, let, let's, let's talk, or there's one more name that we didn't mention. Romney. Romney. You went to, you went there first. Yep. Everybody knows how tight he is with Benjamin Netanyahu. I was told by some people that know, uh, that, uh, the Netanyahu administration well. I was told by some people in the spring conservatives that they would be silent on the presidential election, but there was so much concern over there about Trump's, uh, again, mercurial nature that they, if, if they had to vote, they might even vote for Hillary. They think she's terrible, but they at least know her terrible and what she'll do. But you've noticed maybe over the last few weeks of the campaign and then since the election that Netanyahu has been pretty warm publicly towards Trump. I would imagine nominating his old friend Romney as Secretary of State would probably cement that relationship. Sure. And Romney would be a great cho- choice because also his presence is one of stability. It would say a lot about Donald Trump 
Um, right now, I, I still suspect whether he's just making Mitt Romney grovel and then he's going to reject him. I, I think based on Donald Trump's uh, response to criticism that that's a very big possibility. Um, but if he chooses Mitt Romney, what most people don't know is that about a year or two ago, he was speaking before a group of Republican donors and basically saying, I want to be Secretary of State in the next administration. And he outlined for like a half hour uh, his foreign policy views in a PowerPoint and how he would reorganize and revamp the State Department. He studied the bureaucracy, brought his expertise in management and business to it, looked it over and said, this is how I'm going to streamline it, this is how I'm going to make it work. And I love that. I would love to have someone in there that, before even getting considered for the job, cared enough about it that they studied all the departments and said, how do I fix this thing? Ryan, a wealth of information as always. It's been too long, brother. It's good to have you back, and uh, we will not wait nearly as long before we do this again, if you're willing. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. Thanks. I'm looking forward to the next time, Steve. All right. Check out uh, the Clarion Project. Uh, I'm telling you, you're going to be a little bit smarter if you do. Clarionproject.org. Clarionproject.org. Ryan Morrow, their national security analyst. When we come back, we have the transcript, the official transcript of President-elect Trump's, one of his first, anyway, interactions with a foreign dignitary and this this is trump you 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 will want to hear this when we come back you're listening to steve dace If it's true and you still don't like it, that's a you problem. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, we've been teasing this, and trust me, it's worth the wait. Welcome back here to the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. I'm just reading this again. I can't get over it. It's just... Perhaps we should tag team this thing. Oh, I just, I can't, I can't even... But I'm going to anyway. Uh, powered by Conservative Review. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. What is so funny about this is these are what they call readouts or their paraphrases, partial transcripts, summaries, okay? And what's funny, though, is this is the readout from Pakistan's viewpoint. It, this is coming from their side, from Islamabad, okay? And so, you know... It, how how we still ha- are are learning to uh, translate and understand some of Trump's mood swings, colloquialisms, euphemisms, expressions. Right? It took us a while to figure out if he was trying to, if huge was a word or if he just it was an it was an accented huge, right? Uh, you know what did bigly meant, right? You know, we had to. It took us some time to figure these things out, right? So now the rest of the world, who probably thought this was all a joke, like frankly many of us did, had no chance to be successful in November. Now, they're trying to figure it out. So this is Pakistan's readout. This is their summary of this conversation, all right? As best as I can, I'm just going to read this without any commentary to get through it at least once. And I'm just going to read it as it is written, as this was released by Pakistan. There's no way you get through this. None. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Hold on, hold on. Hamana, 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 grandma, grandma, grandma. All right, here we go. <laughs> I Todd, I was going to say, I put he two dollars on like five seconds. 
right. I wish I would have made that bet. <laughs> I just want after I read this the first time, I thought, is this the real life? <laughs> is this just fantasy? <laughs> All right, here we go. Prime Minister Mohammad Nawaz Sharif called President-elect USA Donald Trump and felicitated him on his victory. President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it says. That's, that's what they wrote. That's what they wrote. President Trump said, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, you have a very good reputation. You are a terrific guy. You are doing amazing work, which is visible in every way. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Uh, as I am talking to you, Prime Minister, I feel I am talking to a person I have known for long. Your country is amazing with tremendous opportunities. Pakistanis are one of the most intelligent people. I am ready and willing to play any role that you want me to play to address and find solutions to the outstanding problems. It will be an honor, and I will personally do it. Feel free to call me anytime, even before 20th January, that is before I assume my office. I'm being invited to visit Pakistan by the Prime Minister. Mr. Trump said that he would love to come to a fantastic country, fantastic place, a fantastic people. Please convey to the Pakistani people that they are amazing, and all Pakistanis I have known are exceptional people, said Mr. Donald Trump. You know that's true. You know that is how it went down. Oh, I heard him saying that as you read it. Yes. I'm not sure it would read much differently if we really no, wrote it on our no, side. No, no doubt. I, I was uh, I was with a friend of mine uh, who's thinking of taking a job in the administration. We we, we were at, uh, having lunch today, and um, we were joking about this transcript. And I mentioned uh, I mentioned uh, just how the Pakistan the, the, just the way that they interpreted the conversation. And I'm like, you know, that is a that's generally how it went down. I remember the, like the second time I ever met Trump, and the you know. And the, and he was and, and he started we started talking about something and he looked at me and said well Steve you know what I'm talking about I mean you know where I'm coming from we've been friends for a long time I met him one time like ever up until this moment right but that's just kind of you know um, his persona and it, it's really it can be really ingratiating make you feel like you are you know, part of it you know you're involved and things of that nature when you are one of the parties that's involved when you're on the outside looking in though watching it as a third party. It, it comes across as what we just shared. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I, I think um, what you just described, that little tidbit about his personality, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that, that's how you, I guess, that's how uh, somebody like Donald Trump get, gets to where he is. I mean, he makes people feel like they are special and they are important, and I think that's what you heard a lot of in this uh, transcript of his conversation with the Prime Minister of Pakistan. No matter what happens for years from now, we'll be able to look back and say, we had some laughs, didn't we? Yes. The only thing missing is I wanted Donald to say, listen, and you guys make the best doctors. <laughs> I, I I mean, something like that. Some kind of, like, I wanted him to go, like, full Reggie what? White. And what's the equivalent of a taco can, bowl on his desk? Yeah, you, you, you listen, you, you guys, I mean, the Japanese can turn a wristwatch into a TV remote, but you guys, you guys are, you guys make great physicians. Listening to Steve Dace. It's about convictions, not positions. Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus 
on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And this is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show, because we just don't have time to get to everything worthy of getting to, even in a three-hour radio program. So our producer, Aaron, he has been kind of that lingering, creepy dude at your water cooler who you knew was listening to what you were talking about, but just uh, pretended like he wasn't, or he was that, that, that presence you felt looking over your shoulder when you were violating, violating company firewalls on social media there. He reports back with those headlines. He's got the buzz. We've got the hot takes. I keep to myself and don't look anybody in the eye. First story, Ohio State University Assistant Director of Residence Life, Stephanie Clemens Thompson may have urged sympathy for suspected uh, Monday attacker Abdul Razak Ali Artan on a Facebook post. She posted, Abdul Razak Ali Artan was a Buckeye, a member of our family. If you think that it's okay to celebrate his death and or share a photo of his dead body and I see it in my timeline, I will unfriend you. I pray you find compassion for his life, as troubled as it clearly was. Think of the pain he must have been in to feel that his actions were the only solution. We must come together in this time of tragedy. Hashtag Buckeye Strong. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag Say His Name. This is the Assistant Director of Residence Life. The fact that she is now not the former Assistant Director of Residency Life at The Ohio State University is why you have tragedies like what happened on their campus a couple of days ago. You'll be a hero if you do stuff like this in their eyes. Yeah. You're a victim. You're the victim. The key is the key is what caught co- Let's take for granted the point that he did this because he was hurting. Why? Hurting from what? What was causing the pain? The radicalized ideology, religion, that was his worldview. I know of only one antidote to a bad worldview. Do you guys know what it is? A good good one. You know where you're not going to get a good one? Todd, from what Aaron just shared from this faculty member at Ohio State University. Instead, that, 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 that worldview is going to lead to more phony workplace violence and more people getting hurt and maybe getting killed. That's going to lead to more of these individuals not gotten to before they get to us. That's what that's going to lead to. I all but guarantee you within the last month, uh, this woman on social media has posted something about dogmatic Christians. Uh, how ri- how rigid they are. Uh, uh, would there be any level of understanding for us on any topic from somebody like th- this? This is why college, in so many ways, the modern version of college is just flat out dumb. And you send your kids there at your own peril. I mean, I vividly remember the University of Wisconsin in the early 90s when I was there. And how I was often, you know, one against 20 in, in many uh, discussions I had in, in my classes. 
now multiply that by a million. You, you, you are surrounded by this filth, and that's what this is. This is filth. Juxtapose that story with Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're the host of HGTV's very successful Fixer Upper program. It uh, had season four debut to high ratings and has supposedly been renewed for season five. Chip and Joanna are also very open about their Christian faith. They gave their testimonials in a film earlier this fall uh, called I Am Second, speaking about their obedience to the Lord. So naturally, uh, the Rainbow Jihad is now out for blood. This is why we call it the Rainbow Jihad. U.S. Weekly, Cosmopolitan, and most recently BuzzFeed have all written stories trying to corner the gains. BuzzFeed released a post uh, this morning uh, that quoted or that uh, said, quote, Given the diversity of Fixer Upper's audience, this is a startling revelation that has left many wondering where Chip and Joe stand. Uh, added that their pastor who the couple says is a friend, has made dangerous and unfounded claims against homosexuality. Um, if the audience is so diverse, I would assume that means there's probably some Christian believers who believe in the morality taught in the Bible in there, wouldn't you think? I mean, if the audience is that diverse? So if, 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 the, if what progressives seek is a society where achievement is determined by group identity, not by meritocracy. And therefore, we, we measure how many, uh, how many representatives of individual tribes of our culture are represented. Well, then, so, so what? Because I've, I've got to believe a lot of Christians probably watch these kinds of shows. Shouldn't they, shouldn't they get somebody on there that believes like them? Even if the show sucks, shouldn't they get that? That's their, that's their own methodology. These people cannot have it both ways, and don't let them, they will try, don't let them get away with it. What I've seen conservative media doing today in response to this is, as much as we've been ashamed of what's become, of what became of a lot of so-called conservative media in this campaign during this year, what I, the way I have seen conservative media just absolutely pulverize BuzzFeed and, and the other entities in response to this clear jihad against biblical Christianity is one of the finest moments I've ever seen in the history of conservative media. They have destroyed them, and that's why this story hasn't gone off to CNN and, and the bigger filters. Mm -hmm. That's why it stayed in this little corner, because they've exposed these people and pounded them into submission for what they're trying to do. I don't watch these shows. I didn't know who Chip and Johanna Gaines were until 9 o'clock this morning. But as soon as I jumped on social media, I saw what was going on. That's why I said tolerance is, is on its way. All right, they are about to be made to care. It was clear this was going to be their target. And the way conservative media responded today by completely discrediting these outlets and calling them out for bigotry, that's exactly what you must do with this. You must make it unsafe professionally for them to go to these kinds of places, Todd. Well, I have got too much to say for the time we have. I, this is a great show. I have a visceral reaction against a lot of these home shows, but this is a good family. Normal people. This is why you need to be awake. This isn't a caricature like um, Duck Dynasty, which was fun. These are normal, good, decent people. And the Rainbow Jihad is coming after them, which means they're coming after you. You're listening to Steve Dace. It's about convictions, not positions. Steve Dace. 
chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values, and that's why Patriot Mobile was created, to give conservatives a chance to put their money where their values are and support a company that we know we can trust to invest our valuable resources back into our values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talking and texting, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but for the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com, that's PatriotMobile.com, or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT, 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make that switch, please use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. I want to go back to the point that you just made, Todd, before the last break, because I thought it was eloquent, brilliant, and right on the money. This is not even skepticism about the faith which in a free, pluralistic society we have to be willing to put up with, and we should be able to engage in a graceful manner. This is the crowd outside Lot's house. And they don't stop until the sulfur falls. They can't be bargained with, reasoned with. This is a God-hating crowd. That's why they went after the Gaineses. Skeptics, earnest skeptics, who might disagree with us ideologically, they go after the, they go after the shysters. They, 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 look at, they look at moral hypocrisy. You want to know the difference? How do you know the difference between someone, who's, someone who disagrees with you and someone who opposes you? Want to know what the difference is? Let me give you the difference. The one who disagrees with you, even if it's snotty, snarky, etc., they go after the hypocrisies, the shysters, the Elmer Gantries. They go after the prosperity hacks, the televangelists, right? Because that... That hypocrisy helps to justify in their own minds and hearts and consciences their skepticism. I know, because when I was a skeptic, I did it too. Those are the ones that you come now and reason together with. Those are the ones that you are patient and long-suffering with. The one who opposes you, though, the one who's your enemy, goes after what's decent about what you believe. The fact that the gains seem to project, Todd, exactly what you just said, that, see, the, the skeptic won't, isn't bothered by the gains, gains of the world. They view them almost as an anomaly. Hey, well, at least, hey, I don't agree with the way they believe, but at least they, they sincerely seem to be living it, so I respect that. That's what the skeptic says to, the couple, to a couple like the gains. But the God-hater sees that consistency and loathes it, and they hate it, and they despise it. And so the target for them isn't the, isn't the televangelist, isn't the shyster huckster, no. The target for them is the decency, because they hate things that are good and decent. Those are people you cannot reason with. They must be defeated. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. 
and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Worldview Wednesday coming up here in about 10 minutes. We'll continue our post-election series, Lessons Learned from 2016. Lessons is taught to us by you, the electorate. Also, quick update on our Twitter poll that uh, we launched right at the start of the show tonight. Uh, the question being, true or false, if Jeb Bush had won, he would have made all the same cabinet appointments Trump has so far, or the same kind of cabinet appointments Trump has so far, other than Jeff Sessions. Approaching 1,000 votes on this, 54% say false, 46% say true. That's still too close for me. That should be like 80-20. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the hard part of governing yet, guys. This should be 80-20. This is the easiest. The decisions he's making now are the easiest. These are the easiest days that Donald Trump's going to have for the next four years. It's a movement, Steve. I mean, this is, this is too close. The fact, first of all, the fact we're asking this question is not a good sign. Well, Steve, you seemed optimistic two weeks ago. Well, two weeks ago, we didn't have to ask this question. <laughs> now we do. You know, I told you, I'm just going to sit here and call balls and strikes. Doesn't mean I'm always right, but that's what I'm going to do. Now, you guys get to sit out there and watch on camera and see if, if my strike zone is consistent or not. But I don't, I don't like the way this has trended the last week and a half or so. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. All right, that time of the night when our producer Aaron gets to ask us any three things about any three things. There is absolutely nothing off limits. He can ask us whatever he wants, provided he asks or he answers the same questions that he asks of us. Question one, if Mike Pence were not the vice president-elect, how would things be different at this point? Another way to ask that, how big of an impact do you think, if any, Mike Pence is having on the decision-making thus far in the transition? Uh, You know, from people I've talked to that know the situation, I've heard mixed results. I've heard he's wielding a lot of influence. I've heard that he's trying to pick his spots when to speak up. So, So I don't know. You know, early on when he took over, for Chris Christie. Christie's people were kicked out. The lobbyists were kicked out. He brought Ken Blackwell from Family Research Council in, who I have a lot of respect for. Those were good signs, right? We didn't get, we got a culture warrior at AG. We wanted Ted Cruz, but like I said at the time, if President Cruz would have appointed Jeff Sessions for that position, most of us would have applauded that as well. I now fail to see, given the decisions that have been made since those very first ones, where there has been a conservative influence on those decisions. If you want to argue Nikki Haley, I mean, I know as many conservatives who love Nikki Haley as don't. You know, I've never met her, so I, I, I don't know. Same thing with Betsy DeVos. I know as many conservatives that are disappointed by her choice as they are elated by it. All right, so those are a couple. Okay. Now, apparently Betsy DeVos got the gig because Jerry Falwell Jr. turned it down. That he was he was originally offered that. At least that's what Falwell is saying. So... I don't know. Initially, I thought you could see some of his conservative influence, but the way things have trended in the last week and a half, I'm I'm starting to see the the kind of appointments you would have expected if Christie were still running the transition, Todd. 
Yeah, there was some tweet he put out yesterday, or I think it was actually a quote that was tweeted out about talking about Donald Trump as a man of tremendous vision and energy. I, I'm just having flashbacks to him in Indiana and the uh, the RIFRA debate there. I don't think he's having any influence. And by that, I mean, is this guy who really has Donald Trump's ear? No, but very few people do that. I think this is a guy, no, yeah. I was told by somebody today, Tom Price, I should mention this, Tom Price is one of his picks. That and Price, because he's staunchly pro-life, so his, that was one of his one of Pence's fights that he fought for at HHS, and that Pence's fight is definitely fighting for who that Supreme Court nominee now, is going to be. Now he has power; he might have some power. Where Donald Trump says, "You know, I know nothing about this." Hey, you go find me a guy. Yes, he is doing that, but is he changing the mind of Donald Trump on anything? And any is he really going to have? A lot to do in a gravitational sense. No, I don't think well, so. Well, I mean, listen, I, I I don't doubt Mike Pence's conservatism. I really don't. He's been around a long time. He has a pretty good record. What I do doubt uh, is his testicular fortitude because he has a record where that's concerned, too. And prior to taking this job of essentially being uh, Trump fluffer, prior to getting this job, the previous two times we heard the, the name Mike Pence, is when he gave the absolute wimpiest, worst presidential endorsement of all time. You're feeling me. Where he went, where he went on the radio and talked for ten minutes about how much he loved Donald Trump. And I'm going to endorse Ted Cruz, and I'll go around the state here with two days to go and see what we can do. Two days. That was that was his endorsement. And then prior to that, was the worst betrayal I've ever experienced from a Republican politician on what he did to us on Rifra in his own state in 2015. So. I, I don't doubt that Mike Pence is going to advocate for for us in the room. I, I have no doubt he will. I have a lot of doubt that he will advocate vociferously, effectively, and doggedly. That's where I have my doubt. All right? And that's all I'm and, saying. And you're dealing with a Donald Trump who respects power and strength. And if you allow him to road grate you, he will. He will. That's where I, that's my worry. I, I don't I don't doubt that he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna suggest that Trump make decisions that we would largely support. What I doubt is his willingness to get on, to get in that room and 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 pound the table for us. That's that's what I doubt. Yeah, I asked this question because okay, Mr. Trump. I, of... Okay, I mean, I, well, I mean, I I, it's, I I think we could do better, but you know, I, I okay, I, I mean, you're the president, so go ahead. Yeah, I asked this question because uh, um, you know a couple of weeks ago it, it looked like uh, he was maybe having a, a lot more impact than he was now. So it's it is really hard to say, but I would agree with the analysis that this is um, a, you know he might provide a voice, but does he actually have any pull? Uh, I, I think that's probably a no at this point. And but I'll I'll keep my I'll keep my mind open to that. Uh, question two: What's the biggest ah oh, snap? I got that wrong. Moment of conviction you've had in recent memory? Uh, November eighth, Todd. <laughs> conviction. November eighth, Todd. Well, yeah. To go a little bit more broadly, that there was, we hadn't shown that there was enough people out there, genuinely fed up to the point that they. We're just not going to take it anymore, and th that th this was this is not a movement in the grand sense that people keep talking about, but far more people 
we're fed up and we're willing to do something about political correctness, journalism gone bad, then I, I thought we had just kind of fallen asleep and were prepared to take it. And on some level, and that's a healthy thing, we aren't. And I hope that leads to something even better in the next four years. All right. Um, that's I, I was going to admit, put a qualifier of non-political on there, but uh, if we're going to go that direction, then yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us got us uh, wrong on November 8th. Question three, if the purge were, were real, the purge, you know, are you familiar with those movies? Yes, I'm familiar, yeah. What would you do? And I'm not talking about uh, would you purge or not. I'm just asking what would you do if it were real? I'd, I'd either um, build a moat uh, and have a state-of-the-art security system to barricade myself in my home, um, or I'd have to fight really hard to resist the temptation to um, extract some vigilante justice. Because the people that would voluntarily just take part in such an effort of debauchery are essentially outing themselves. They're essentially saying, we're the people you have to worry about when you tuck your kids in at night. We're the people you have to worry about when you leave the windows rolled down in your car. We're the people you have to worry about when you've got to run a quick errand and you can't take your kids with you, so you have to leave them, you have to leave them at your house by themselves for 15 minutes and you're worried about them the whole time. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, the people that the people the people that are willing would be willing to go out and participate in such a thing are essentially saying we are the knuckle draggers. And by the fact that they would go out there in the streets and out themselves of their debauchery, would there not be a temptation to just go ahead and say, "Well, since you added yourself, why don't we just cull the herd while we're out here?" To avoid said temptation, because two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> All right. I will just barricade myself in my home and take it out on my PlayStation 4 that night instead, Todd. This is the ultimate argument for stand your ground, isn't it? Yes. I would extract some justice on the Same. amorality. No questions asked. You would be very tempted along those lines, too. I wouldn't be tempted. I'd do it. <laughs> You're listening to Steve Dace. I personally believe elitism, Marxism, atheist, government intervention, secular humanist, liberals and conservatives, materialism, nihilism, U.S. Americans, Christian, globalist, socialist, democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face? Libertarian, Tea Partier, the free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com would be the email address. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We're going to continue the series we started post-election. We took a week off for uh, Thanksgiving last week, so we looked at the worldview of Thanksgiving. But we're going to continue with the series we started post-election, Lessons from 2016. And this is a four-part series, and this week we're going to take a look at part two. If you missed out on last week, 
these are lessons based on what the lessons were that were taught to us by the electorate. That ultimately they they are other than God Himself. The the people are the final judge in this society. So they get to teach the lessons around here. Doesn't mean, by the way, that the will of the people is always right. It's right more often than not. But you know, if men were angels, they wouldn't need government. William Penn once said. So I mean, we 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 once had consensus that slavery was good. We once had consensus that separate but equal was good. Right now, we seem to, at least in terms of the way we govern ourselves, have consensus that uh, um, infanticide is good. And props to Nick Cannon, of all people, who's been speaking out on Planned Parenthood for the last couple of weeks and even doubled down in response to uh, the, uh, the jihad he was facing on social media, doubled down on that earlier this week. So not always. That's why we don't say so our, our, that's why our elected officials don't say, so help me will of the people. Uh, they say, so help me God. There, there is an authority higher than the people. But the people in our form of government are a higher authority than the government because it's a government by the consent of the governed. So these are the lessons that the electorate taught us in this election. And in part one, we looked at the lessons that the electorate taught Donald Trump. Part two tonight, we're going to look at the lessons that the electorate taught Christian leaders. And I'm curious, gentlemen, what, before we get started, before I, I go over some of the lessons I think Christian leaders need to learn from this election because of the way it turned out, what are some of the lessons you think they need to learn based on how the way or based on the way things turned out? Aaron, I think they need to learn um, e- even more so now. And I know it doesn't seem this way, and uh, I, I'm projecting what I think will happen now. I, I think they will learn and they need to learn that the culture, that the world is watching, that my generation is watching right now. And quite frankly, they they don't like what they see. And, I, and I, it doesn't seem like that because they ended up uh, putting or hedging their bets upon Donald Trump, and they ended up winning. But I think right now they are losing any shred of credibility that they had picked up, any shred of, of credibility that they uh, had uh, to begin with, and they are not exactly giving my generation and people in general an excuse to hear and listen to what they actually have to say. They need to learn that the the interpreting scripture literally apparently doesn't mean what they think it means. Where did the narrow gate go in the last couple of years concerning Donald Trump? Cause that gate is wide and it is shallow. I'd like to return to the narrow gate. Could they start there? Well, let's see where that goes. Not every Christian leader backed Trump, but a lot of them did. And when you look at these results, it is it is clear that Trump would not be where he is today if not for the vote of the faithful. I mean, you look at these numbers. I've been telling you since the start of this campaign, the two groups that Republicans had to flip were middle-class voters and Catholics who primarily live in the suburbs. That's why we focus so much on suburban voters. But why middle-class voters and Catholics, every election they've won since the last major realignment in the country in 1980, they've won Catholics and middle-class voters. Every election they've lost, they didn't. Which, by the way, is the same for the Democrats. Because if the Republicans have to win those two groups to win, and if they don't win them, they lose them, that means who wins? The other side when they get them, right? So these are really the two swing votes right here. 
I thought all along Trump's economic populist message would do well with middle class voters. And even when I was expressing all my skepticism towards his ability to win, I never doubted. I thought he would do well with middle class voters. My concern is that we were going to get him. We were gonna, he was going to get creamed with Catholics, and all the numbers showed this leading up to election day. And then when you start looking at losing college-educated whites, something Republicans had never lost before, what you're talking about now, and this is remember, this is what we talked about during the campaign. It was that he was going to win those middle-class voters at the expense of Romney's coalition, meaning he wasn't going to add them to what Romney had in order to come up with a a winnable coalition, but he was going to just cost shift. He was going to trade them for some voters that Romney had. And it turned out that that did happen with college-educated whites. He lost them, but not as bad as the pre-election forecast were indicating. And he way overperformed among Catholics. There were no surveys that, that I know of, not even Pew, which is one of the best pollsters on cultural and religious trends in America. There's not a single trend or, or demographer or pollster that I know of that had Trump winning Catholics. I don't know of one. And if I don't know of one, there probably wasn't one, because I don't know too many people in our industry that study this more than I do. And yet Trump won Catholics by seven points. To put that in perspective, that's the largest win a Republican has had with Catholics since Reagan's historic landslide of 84 when he won them by nine points. All the final numbers are not in, but it looks as if Trump may end up getting the most lopsided support from white evangelicals since exit polling began. Which means a more dominant showing than George W. Bush received in 2004 when they were a big reason that he won re-election. Or Reagan in 1980, when that, when the, when, which was the dawn, the advent, pardon the pun, of the religious right. So if you look at it, the original coalition that men like Paul Weyrich, the Catholic star, founder of Heritage Foundation, Jerry Falwell, D. James Kennedy, the two evangelical behemoths, those were three of the men that were involved in forging what we know now as the religious right or values voters or the Christian right or Christian conservatives. That They were the ones that came up with the message that put Catholics and evangelicals on the same side politically for really the first time in modern American history. And there's been a lot of talk that that, that, that movement is dead now or it's, it's, it's declined. Well, I think this election has proven... Julius Caesar, that reports of its demise have been greatly exaggerated. Because when Trump wins four states by 1.4 points or less, and then you look at where did he overperform? Huge turnout of evangelicals, very lopsided in his favor, and he, he crushed it with Catholics. Translation. If you're one of the Christian leaders that was responsible in facilitating this alliance showing up on November the 8th, you are owed, as Mr. Trump likes to say, bigly. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Exceeding your low expectations, the Steve Day Show. Have a holy, jolly Christmas. It's the best time of 
This is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio. So we're looking at lessons that we need to learn from the 2016 election, part two of our series. Takes a look at the lessons Christian leaders need to learn. For the first time since 2004, Christian political leaders have something. The most powerful thing there is to have in politics. Where true power comes from. Leverage. This is not a game of access, folks. It's a game of leverage. Leverage is what gives you the access. It's not even the chicken or the egg. You must have leverage to have access. Why was I one of the very first people Donald Trump ever talked to about running for president? Where do I live? Iowa. First in the nation caucus state. If I had the exact same media profile size platform that I have, but I lived in Minnesota, or I was doing this in a big Midwestern market like Chicago, think Donald Trump would have spent two plus years trying to woo me? No. Because I can't do anything for him. I don't have any leverage. Why, why did Ted Cruz thank me by name on caucus night? Where do I live? Iowa. Leverage. It is a game of leverage. How come Bob Vanderplatz, our buddy that joins us on Mondays, never has to worry about who's going to be the speaker at their next event? Like they, don't have, they, don't have, they, don't, they don't have to have meetings discussing that. How are we going to get that guy? They just announced they have an event. Wait for people to call them. Hey, can we speak? Why? Because dude's three for three in the Iowa caucuses. That's why. Leverage. Leverage. How come Steve Bannon is now, like him or not, he's now Rasputin. He's in the inner chamber of of, of Tsar Nicholas II. While pretend chief of staff Rince has to go out there on TV and eat the eat the turd sandwich every night, why? Because Bannon, Kellyanne Conway, how come Kellyanne Conway gets permission to go out there and trash Mitt Romney publicly? Because Bannon, Kellyanne Conway, David Bossy, they came in at the time we all thought they were doomed, and they won. Which means, guess what they have with Mr. Trump? Leverage. It is a game of leverage. How come the Democratic Party politically puts its loyal black voting base at the back of the bus? But the rainbow jihad rides shotgun. Because they have leverage. Because the rainbow jihad will burn this place down if they don't get what they want. Or just walk out. The glitter bomb you on live television. Make you wish your daddy had worn a condom that night. They'll just embarrass you on every television network. Leverage. Meanwhile, black America can see its standard of living stall out. Can see its unemployment rate increase. Its literacy rate continue as abysmal as it always was, even under a black president. The Democrats believe that 90% of you are going to vote for them anyway, so you don't have any leverage with them. 
That's just the game, folks. That's just the game. Life, in many respects, is a game of leverage. That's why mamas say to their daughters, he ain't going to buy the cow if you give him the milk for free. Why withhold the milk? If you'd like to like it, put a ring on it. Leverage. It's a game of leverage. All right? Why did God make them so beautiful? Because men, we're so selfish that if they weren't, we wouldn't do anything they need or want from us. We'd just serve ourselves. And we say we're bigger and stronger than you, so so what? But we, 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 we don't have the leverage. They have it. It's one of the things I try to teach our daughters, Amy and I both. Do you truly understand how powerful you really are? Do you really understand that? You have leverage. Life is a game of leverage. Politics absolutely is. For the first time in over a decade, Christian leaders have leverage in the White House. Leverage in the Republican Party. It is now time to use it. What would that look like? We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Benchmark in broadcast mediocrity. Steve Dace. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. All right, back here on Worldview Wednesday on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. You guys are okay, by the way, with my talk about this being a game of leverage? Absolutely. Nailed it. Yeah. All right. So what does that leverage look like? See, um, our Savior once said, you have not because you ask not. My buddy Chip Roy, who was on the show earlier this week, he was telling me recently that a lot of times conservatives don't get what they want because of a lack of imagination. And he said, and we read Donald Rumsfeld's memoirs, and he, and he talks about what happened at 9-11. And one of the things that former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld puts in the book, in, in his memoirs, is... We, had, we thought we had contingencies for everything. And when people asked us, why didn't we have a contingency for people hijacking planes and flying them into buildings on kamikaze missions? And his answer was, lack of imagination. Just, we, couldn't, we just couldn't in our own minds imagine this level of malevolence, evil. So we didn't scheme for it. See, Donald Trump isn't one of us. Now, we can debate... All day long, and we won't get our answer until his presidency concludes, whether he's been playing us this whole time or is willing to play to us. We don't know that yet, and we won't know. That's why a wise man once said something about, you know, a tree by its fruit. So when the, when, 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 when the harvest comes in, we'll see what kind of fruit is on that tree, and then we'll know our answer. But what's not debatable is that he's not one of us. So he's not going to think like us. He's not going to just come up with these things on his own. 
That means you Christian leaders who are one of the biggest reasons other than himself that he's going to sit there in the catbird seat at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for the next four years, that means you need to ask. You need to have the imagination he doesn't have and say, hey, here's what we need. Approach him like you would approach a CEO. And, and you're having a department meeting. And all he really cares about is, my job is to woo the shareholders. In this case, the shareholders are the voters. I can't run your departments. I need you to. This is the mindset that I believe Mr. Trump will bring to the presidency. I'm starting to say Mr. Trump now. Somebody shoot me, okay? This is, <laughs> when we were got along, I didn't even call him Mr. Trump. This is the mindset Donald will bring to the presidency because it's the life he's lived all, his entire adult life. All he wants to know is, hand me the report. I want to see the trains are running on time. And if they're not running on time, tell me what you need to make them run. And if you can't tell me what, they, what those things are, I'll get somebody else who can. Because my job is to woo the shareholders. You guys in the Christian leadership, you need to walk into that Oval Office as the department heads and say, hey, here's what we need to make budget this month, to be in the black, to crack the nut. This is what we need to make the trains run on time. Here's what you need. You need something that really draws blood from Planned Parenthood, not some token exception-filled abortion restriction bill that doesn't save any babies. I mean something that hits them where it hurts the most. A real defund of them, including continuing resolutions, because I doubt many of Mr. Trump's budgets are going to get passed. In other words, you need to do to Planned Parenthood what Scott Walker did to the mobocracy in Wisconsin. Take away their ability to use government to fund themselves. Hit them where it hurts. And you also want President Trump to publicly urge GOP state legislatures across the country to follow his lead, to use that bully pulpit. You want the next Antonin Scalia, like we talked about last week, not a Bill Pryor, but somebody that everybody knows. We all know Mike Lee, Roy Moore, Ted Cruz, somebody like that whose career has been vetted in broad daylight. We know where they stand. We don't have to babysit them. It's like when Tom Brady comes in in the fourth quarter, baby. You're almost like, do we even need to watch? We know how this is going to end, guys. Hell, Brady might score twice after the two-minute warning just because he has him free. He scored so fast the first time, right? You know how it ends. It's like Mariano Rivera coming out of the bully for the Yankees. You left the Bronx Zoo early. You didn't even stay to watch him pitch because you knew you could beat the traffic. You'll just catch it on, 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 on the fan on the way home, okay? Automatic. That's what you want as a Scalia replacement. You want a culture warrior as attorney general. Now, I think you got one of those in Jeff Sessions. So I think you're okay there. You want an executive order declaring the federal government will not seek to punish believers who disagree with immorality, including in the military. You want that in addition to the repeal of the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment's a fig leaf. One church ever has lost its nonprofit status because of the Johnson Amendment. Ever. That's really not that big of a thing. It's frankly thing gutless, it's frankly something gutless pastors use to excuse their gutlessness. Sure, if he wants to repeal it, cool. Might as well rip the fig leaf off so there's no more excuse for pastoral gutlessness in the pulpit. I'm okay with that. You guys okay with that? But understand, it's a fig leaf. That's what it is. You want an executive order that says we're not punishing people in the federal government because of their religious beliefs. And that includes the military. 
You want a speech op-ed from President Trump, one or the other, that uses his bully pulpit to say the era of going after people's livelihoods for their private religious beliefs in America is over. We're not going to do that here. It says he or he says, I'm a capitalist. I believe in freedom, which made America great. And this represents neither. We respect one another's differences. And that is true tolerance. Again, you want him to use that bully pulpit. You want a commission on the protection of the American family so that we have a true look on the record with the full resources of the federal government at what has happened to our society since we have given up on the traditional family unit, what's happened to gender, gender roles, fatherhood, childhood, etc. What really happens to women who go through divorces and their standards of living? We want this all documented. Because let's face it, what is the number one authority figure in too many Americans' lives? Government. And you want President Trump to mobilize state Republican parties to encourage or pressure all these GOP state legislatures to start asserting federalism on cultural issues as a means of checks and balances on the left's attempt to do cultural transformation without representation, as our friend Daniel Horowitz likes to say. This is your minimum Christmas list. This is what we call in the poker world, this is the ante. Meaning you haven't won the game yet. This is what it costs to play. And this is what you need to tell him. This is what it, Mr. President Trump, this is what it costs us to turn the lights on in our department at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. This is what we need at a minimum. But you Christian leaders, you have to ask. You're listening to Steve Dace. don't play for a team we fight for the truth you're listening to steve dace all right continuing here wrapping it up on a worldview wednesday on the steve Dace show powered by conservative review part two of our series lessons the electorate taught us in 2016 and i think when you look at gentlemen the huge role Uh, that Christian conservative voters played in Donald Trump becoming the next president of the United States against essentially all the odds and every statistical data model out there. That means um, those voters, the lesson they have taught their Christian leaders, I believe, is don't do what you did when we got George W. Bush elected. We don't care that he comes to speak at CNP meetings. We don't care that you have your your banquet circuit filled. Okay? We want action. We want policy. We want to see the other side. We want to see all the crazy stuff they're saying about President Trump right now in press releases. Most anti-rainbow jihad president ever. Most anti-abortion president ever. We want to have that be the truth. We want to see crying Jordan memes of Planned Parenthood officials all over the fruited plain. We want to watch members of the Rainbow Jihad cutting themselves on Think Progress podcasts because they just can't handle the fact someone's telling them no. That's what we want to see. Use the leverage that you have. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Wow. Uh, my heart broke a little bit when you talked about the... Um the junkets, the book sales, the the gatherings, because that is an infinite Achilles heel 
in this movement. I, I don't. This this generation is is like the generation that is not allowed to go into the the promised land. I fear they've just sold out and been pulling their punches for so long. Are they prepared to do what you're talking about? I mean, we're so hungry. I don't know how long your list was there, Steve. How many bullet points ultimately? If if we've got one or two of them. It'd be like winning the Super Bowl. There's seven of those. And those should happen in the first hundred days. Yes. That's low-lying fruit. It costs him nothing politically to do any of these seven things. Instead, it enhances him politically considerably to do it. But But he won't think of things like this on his own because he's not one of us. So the people that run that department for him, they're the ones that i got to walk in there and say, you know, hey... You know, I mean, um, we're the cre. It's like we watch Elf every year for Chris for one of our family movie nights for Christmas. It's one of my oldest daughter's favorite movies, right? James Conn's the guy that runs the publishing company, but he, but he's not the guy that does the storyboarding. He doesn't actually come up with the story. He's like, hey, that's what I pay you guys to do. So you guys are those Christian conservative leaders. You're the storyboarders. You walk in and say, hey, here's the here's what we're, here's the here's the book we're going to do. His job is to figure out how to come up with the means to make it happen. Your job is to come up with the idea that gets published. And so where I'm at is if we got just one of those accomplished at the end of four years, let alone 100 days, it would it would be a minor miracle. Aaron? The opportunity that 2016 was is back on the table. It's time to go pedal to the net metal because that demographic apocalypse coming up for your side, it's, uh, it's on the horizon. Well said. Back at it again tomorrow. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.